Let us go to the text of scripture. Um, it's going to be a little bit unorthodox in my introduction today because I really want to have this as a foundation of, um, of our uh, sermon uh, series going forward. I'm continuing on in the book of Corinthians. Um, the title for today's sermon will be A Wise Foundation, excuse me, Our Wise Foundation. But I want you to get 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. That's going to be our main text. But I also want you to go to Job 1 through 28. And it'll make sense as we go along. But I, I really want to read Job 1, um, excuse me, Job 28, 1 through 28. Uh, because there's so much foundational wisdom in the wisdom literature. Really, I could have went anywhere. I could have went to Proverbs. I could have went to uh, the Psalms. In praising God, there is wisdom, but I, I believe Job is, is very fitting for having a foundation of wisdom, both in the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. So hold your place in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. That's going to be our main text, but let's go over to Job chapter 28. And I want you to listen to the writer. We'll begin at verse 1. It reads, surely there, is a, surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they, fit, where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness and searches all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaks out of the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. As for the earth, out of it come bread, and under it is turned up as it were fire. The stone of it are in the places of sapphire, and it has dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knows, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He puts forth his hand upon the rock. He overturns the mountains by the roots. He cuts out rivers among the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He binds the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid brings he forth to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be forgotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx and sapphire. The gold and crystal cannot equal it. And the exchange of it shall not be for the jewels to find, excuse me, jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls for the price of wisdom above, excuse me, wisdom is above rubies. The tophaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Where then comes wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowl of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. 
God understands the way thereof, and he knows the place thereof. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds, and he weighs the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from it is evil, is understanding. Let us bow for a brief moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us so much grace, knowledge, and wisdom. You have kept our way and made it safe. You have brought us near to you through the wisdom of Christ and your glorious gospel. Through the foolishness of preaching, you have saved men. And through raising up those who have been despised and weak and of no noble birth, you have made your ways known and you have put us in all amazement. Let us hold on to your wisdom. Let us hold on to Christ. Let us preach the word without anything lacking. Let us hear let the word take root to evangelize and for it to become a fruitful tree unto all nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we turn to 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. But I wanted to sort of give sort of a precursor to the wisdom of God as it was read in Job. Now, just by way of brief summary, when you see where the writer is talking about he is expressing it through the wisdom of God cannot be found through animals. And he uses animals like the vulture, right, and like the hawk, right? These animals are animals we know now today through modern science that they have eyes that can see through water and they can go down and catch a fish in seconds, right? But in the word, it says that even these animals that are magnificently made by God, that have this awesome ability, this sight, even they can't find wisdom. It talks about the value of wisdom and how wisdom is, is, is valued above all things, rubies and sapphire and diamonds and carbuncles and all these great precious stones. It talks about wisdom and how it escapes evil people. But then... The writer turns to God and God alone. And it says that only God has wisdom. And only he, and, on, and only through the, the fear of him, that is the respect, that is the honor, that is the glory of him, will you be able to obtain this wisdom. Only through the fear of God are we as a people able to obtain wisdom through God. When we reverence God as God and him alone and give him glory and come to his word, we understand that precious thing that many in the world grope their whole lives to try to grasp. We understand, those of us, as, as we talked about in previous messages, God has taken the foolish. He has taken the nobodies, the downtrodden, the ones who are, who are, who are weak, and not mighty, the ones who are nobodies, not born of noble birth, he has taken these individuals and made his salvation sure and known to them. 
So when we think about wisdom, think about how precious it is to have the word of God, but also too, think about this, think about how precious it is to understand the word of God. So we'll start in our text today, we'll go right in to 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9, and talk about our wise foundation. The foundation of our wisdom is on holy revealed scripture. It's on God's word. We see that men are continuing to try to find their way through uh, cultural narratives, through science, but every time they come up with the conclusion that God was right because the wisdom of God is above precious stones and it is valued above all things. So let's look at 1 Corinthians. Go back up to verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 5. It says, That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The apostle says this because beforehand he said, We didn't come to you with excellency of speech. We didn't come to you with fancy words to try to convince you of the gospel. For what? The previous chapter. We are foolish nobodies. We're not educated people. We're not people who were born into a pharisaical law-filled family. We're not, um, we're not anybody of note. And also, we didn't come to you with fancy words to get you hype and to get you elevated in emotions to make you believe us. We came to you with the gospel. The simple, unadulterated gospel. So he says, I don't want your wisdom to rest on Paul. I don't want your wisdom to rest on Apollos or Cephas, Peter. I want your wisdom to rest upon the knowledge and the foundation of God. Now look at our text. In verse 6, we'll read 6 through 9. He says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor the princes of the world that come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now do you understand Job? The writer in Corinthians, Paul is saying, this wisdom of God is not captured by worldly individuals. It is only captured by the people who have been ordained to believe it, by Almighty God. Such a precious wisdom we have. So, we have a phrase that we use when we're discussing or addressing a given topic for too long. It's called beating a dead horse. And in 1 Corinthians, really chapters 1 through 4, some may feel like this may be an apt phrase to use. But when you think of the severity of the problems just in the first two chapters at the Corinthian church and what they had, I would argue that, 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 that the church then and now, the church universal, needs Paul's address 
on the issue of man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And as we stated before, that the objective of the argument that Paul is trying to answer, he answers it throughout the first section of 1 Corinthians. So today we won't belabor the summary, but let's dive right into scripture. So in verse 5, it says, if you remember the last verse we read was verses 5, that your faith should not stand on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Because for today's subject, we'll use for a title, Our Wise Foundation. Our Wise Foundation is built on the perfect, the predestined, and the prophetic. The perfect, the predestined, and the prophetic. The perfect wisdom of God, the predestined wisdom of God, and the prophetic wisdom of God. So let's talk about the first point, the perfect. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 6. It says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. The King James Version uses the word perfect. It is the word teleos in the Greek. What that word means is basically mature. Those who are complete, those who are fully grown in Christ, not babes, not immature, fully developed Christians in the faith. What Paul is saying, he's saying, I did not come to you as a great orator with fancy words or philosophical enticing speech that your faith might not rest on that stuff, those clever sayings of men and men's wisdom. I came to you with the pure testimony of God, not doctored up to make the word of God more palatable or appetizing. No, I came to you with the wisdom and you who are mature in the faith understood what I was talking about. You had no choice because you are saved and you are God's elect. You have the Holy Spirit resting in you, therefore you are complete perfect, built up your Christian maturity in the faith, able to receive what I am saying. You see, any Christian who is actually saved can read the word of God. Any non-Christian can comprehend the words on the page of literature, but without spiritual maturity, a process of sanctification where there is a genuine hunger for God's word, you will not understand the mysteries and the scripture that God speaks of. A couple of reference scriptures. In 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, it says, As newborn babes, what? Us who are saved, the elect, we desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow, grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. First John 26, it says, these things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing, that's a very hot topic word in the Pentecostal realm, right? But the anointing is simply saying it is the Holy Spirit gift given to all believers where we're able to understand God's word. It says, but the anointing which ye have received from, uh, received of him abides in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, as, as, and, in, and, and is truth, and is no lie, 
and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. You see, a mature Christian doesn't get their theology from an experience or a resource or an event or even a person. A mature Christian gets their theology, their wisdom, ultimately from the word of God. Now, God, by his divine power and providence, may grant circumstances to reveal something, or he may, by his power and providence, allow for a person to come across your path that may say a word that you need. But that circumstance or that person does not supersede the revelation we find in Scripture. Christianity is not Star Wars. We don't stretch out our feelings. We don't follow our heart. What, what a wicked thing that is. We're not looking for new revelation or a fresh word from the Lord. A mature Christian doesn't walk by sight of his or her physical eyes, but by the assurance and trust of the spiritual faith that they have been given. That's a mature Christian. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we herefore be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness by where they lie in wait to deceive. Paul says here, he says we are to be no more children because we are made mature in the faith. We shouldn't be tossed to and fro like the Corinthians were. One worshiping Paul, one worshiping Peter, one worshiping Apollos. One fighting the other because of a specific theological position, a cultural narrative, or a political position. But he says in 1 Corinthians 2.6, Yet not the wisdom of the world, nor the princes of this world, that come to naught. Every single philosophy or way of life, religion, spirituality, or path, that is contrary to or not derived from the wisdom of God has failed and will fail. Every time man in his wisdom tells you not to eat something, they come right back and say, you know what, we had that wrong, that's actually good to eat. Relationship and marriage advice, philosophy. It's interesting how people still give secular marriage advice and what's even more interesting is watching all the vain philosophies fail. Cosmopolitan, Ebony Magazine, People Magazine, over and over and over again, we celebrate celebrities and the marriages fail and go awry. Because it's not about your birth of nobility. It's not about your wealth. It's about the wisdom of God and his foundation. Listen, if someone was trying to help you fix your car and you pull up to their house and you see a bunch of cars in the driveway that are unfinished, would you trust that person to fix your car? No. 
I mean, even Steve Harvey or Paula White or any of the like are trying to counsel me on how to keep my marriage and keep my wife or keep my husband. If they aren't reading from 1 Corinthians 6 or Ephesians, they can forget it. We should be so mature in Christ that we should reject vain, failed philosophy and philosophers. Think about political affiliations, Marxism, communism, political philosophies and regimes that called massive genocidal deaths. Man is trying to find utopia without God. And in his quest to find utopia, all he finds is death. It got so bad in Russia under the USSR that they had to put propaganda posters up to remind people not to eat their children. The wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men, comes to nothing. But we who have been called, we who have been saved, we rest upon holy scripture. We rest upon God's word because only his word is able to reveal what is true. Let's go to the next point. Predestined. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. Predestined. What does the apostle say? He says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 7 says that we, that we talk about this wisdom of God as a hidden knowledge. I mean, it's unknown to them who were and are not saved. And then the scripture goes on to say that this hidden wisdom was given to us by God before the world was even made. You see, the hidden wisdom was always known by the Father. And through the Father's predestined love for us, he makes known this knowledge of salvation as we are adopted sons and daughters, heirs to the kingdom through Jesus Christ. As a reference all over Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, according as he has chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Any parent who has been on a trip before, I'm pretty sure if you have children, you've heard the phrase, are we there yet, right? And, you, and as a parent, you don't understand, like, you don't, like, whether we're there or not, like, you're going to ride wherever I ride. Can you drive? You know? But guess what? The parent knows the course. The parent knows the destination. Even if the children do not, we are predestined to go to a place. And I'm in control. I'm in the driver's seat. But thanks be to God that he has given us not only the predestined destination, but he has given us the end of all things. We win in the end. Christ is triumphant in us, through us, because he is triumphant in all things. As a reference again, Ephesians 1, 11, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, not the apostle Peter, not fancy words. 2 Timothy 1.9, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works as apostles, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in us, excuse me, given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I mean, how many times does God have to say this wisdom is of old? It is something that was predestined and made known beforehand. We're just riding in the car. We're just enjoying the view. We're following the course that is charted by our Holy Father. We are predestined for life everlasting, eternal life. The predestined. Lastly, let's, let's look at the prophetic. 1 Corinthians 2.9. The prophetic. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have, has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, I, I, I've read multiple commentaries on this particular verse, but y'all know as a rule, a theological rule that I have, if God has not revealed it, I don't even do any um, exegesis on what God could possibly mean. I probably re rewrote this ending of my sermon probably four or five times. Because how do you describe the indescribable? If God says that what he has prepared for his children, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it even entered the imagination of our heart, how do you describe that? It's indescribable. But I'll do my best. We have preached and probably done Bible studies about this, but there are things about God that we will not understand or comprehend until we are fully glorified in the new creation. What does it mean to live without sin? If we tell the truth, we, we are sinning in our minds, in our thoughts, in our deeds. We have a confession of sins every Lord's Day. What does it feel like to live a completely perfect life without any thought of darkness in your mind? We don't know what that feels like, even as Christians. We have glimpses of joy and, and glory and peace in God, but we don't know what complete peace means like, right? We're always worried about our children that are about to fall off a, a couch or, a, or are worried about their safety or worried about our house or the bills or whatever, like we're supposed to, right? We are wise people living in a fallen world. What does it feel like to live in, an, in a non-fallen world? We don't know what it is to feel like Adam and Eve felt 
and yet even they sinned. Well, the new heaven and the new earth, we can't comprehend that either. And an even more greater thing to ponder is once we are fully glorified in our new completely perfect state, there are things about God we, we still will never comprehend. For we will have eternal life, but we don't know what eternity is to be like. Meaning, God was not created. We are the creator, excuse me, we are the created from the creator. But he says, concerning our salvation, our faith, there are things that you can't imagine that God has prepared for us in the fullness of his glory. I mean, there is really nothing that can really be said more because we can't imagine what we don't know. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? In this case, it's what we literally can't know. There are a few places this was written. One is in Isaiah 64, 4, where he says this, Isaiah 64, 4, For since the beginning of the world, Men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he has prepared for him that waits for him. The song is so apt this morning, and Jimmy's exegesis of the sonnet of the song is wonderful. We are waiting as virgins who have their wicks trimmed for the bridegroom. Not doing nothing, but busy, resting upon God's wisdom, upon his word. Notice how the author in Isaiah says, the one who waits for him, right? While in Corinthians, the New Testament, it says, love him. Well, in Hebrew and Jewish culture, when a bridegroom and a bride were betrothed to get married, the groom would go and typically gain supplies and provisions. Sorry, ladies, but in the ancient world, it was the bridegroom who was the man of the hour, <laughs> not the bride. You secular women have changed us. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but in the ancient world, it was the bridegroom who was, who was the man, right? We were the ones who had the pomp and circumstance. Or the groom would meet the father and they would go search out land or many times the father-in-law would even allow the groom to build an addition onto his house. But while this was going on, the bride would wait on her husband. She would keep herself chaste until that promised day of consummation. She would also prepare herself typically with other handmaidens and other family members. Isn't the Hebrew culture a wonderful parallel to the nature of Christ and his bride, the church? You see, the old covenant, they died looking for the promise. They waited for the Lord. They trusted God to reveal himself and the mystery of how he was going to save them. Well, they didn't have all the knowledge of Messiah that we have 
but they knew that it was by faith. We spend our whole natural lives attempting to comprehend the things of God, our salvation, our sanctification. I mean, the whole nature of our salvation, really, even the text of Scripture says that even angelic beings look into the realm of the living to try to figure out what salvation is about. And God does reveal some things to us. But we would never dare to say that we have the ordained power and providence of God to figure it out. We rely on his wisdom. We have a healthy, sure foundation in God. If I could use as a pastor's prerogative here. Now up front, I'll tell you, this is an imagination. But imagine being about to see God in heaven. And God says we cannot even see or comprehend or understand what he has prepared for us. But imagine being able to see sound in our new bodies. And imagine that the heavenly hosts are playing and worshiping God and you can see the music, what an element of surprise that would be that adds to worship. Imagine being able to taste color. We see colors in our present state, but imagine knowing what magenta tastes like. Think about love and peace. We know somewhat of what peace is right now. We know what love is right now, but in the flesh, it's always conditional, isn't it? Our peace is based upon how much money we have in the bank. Our peace is based upon if they like me or not. Our peace is based upon what group I'm affiliated with. This is what Paul was trying to admonish the Corinthians about. Put that stuff aside. But what God has prepared for his people is a peace that passes anything that we can understand. How can you be at peace if you're broke? How can you be at peace if your own mother or father has disowned you? How can you be at peace if your brothers or sisters or friends cast you out of their company, if you're ostracized? How can you be at peace? It is because I know the Prince of Peace. The world can't comprehend that. And the love that God has for his people is higher than anything above the heavens than we could imagine. And we don't have to get into calculatory numbers, but God says that his love for his people, he makes the analogy and says that his love for us is higher above the heavens. It's higher above any trajectory that Elon Musk can go. It's higher above Apollo 13's chart to the moon. It's higher above the farthest reaches of the galaxy. That's how much God loves us.
Second point, this is the reason why we don't believe books about heaven or people say I've been to heaven and everything and all that stuff. Because if God says no human eye has seen it and no human ear can comprehend it and neither can the imaginations that I'm even talking about right now to try to express any type of semblance towards it can be comprehended, why would I buy a book on somebody who said they've been to heaven? It makes no sense. Paul, an apostle of God, the same apostle who wrote this book, this epistle, he says that whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot know. He said, but I was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, when I was caught up there, I wasn't even allowed. I can't even develop the humanistic, uh, uh, the human vernacular to tell you what I saw. It was so great. It was so holy. It was so majestic. It was so much of the wisdom of God that was unable to be comprehended. But as the Bible says, if you hold to vain philosophy, if you deny the truth and the wisdom of God, if you are a little child in Christ being tossed to and fro, those books at the bookstore will look enticing. I want to know what heaven is like. You want to know what heaven is like? Read the book of Revelation. Read the word of God. Read Ezekiel. Read Isaiah. God has revealed himself. And he has revealed our inheritance. Because eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it even entered into, the, into men's heart what God has prepared for his people. Our wise foundation is built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. And by the authority of his will, the apostles are the foundations of the church. And furthermore, we are his bride. Last thing in Jewish culture, it was interesting. After all the pomp and circumstance, the bride and the groom would come into the house. It would be built with the foundation. And the place prepared, whether it was the father-in-law's help or the house there together, they would abide with one another. And the abiding in Christ is that we will one day be able to live in the fullness of what God has prepared for us. So why then would we ever rest on anything the world has to offer? And remember, the flesh is bold and Satan is bold. You remember how Satan tried to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Took him upon a high mountain. And said, look upon everything that is here. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Why would he worship for anything offered when he owns everything? See, that's the difference between God and the devil. I often hate those memes where they have the devil like arm wrestling Jesus or the depiction of Jesus. It's, it's ridiculous. It would be more like a flea trying to break a piece of granite. Like, it's not happening. One day we'll get into the mystery of angels and demons, but I'll give you a small precursor. Really, what Satan was trying to do is fish for information. See, Satan didn't know the predestined knowledge that God has. 
Satan is also not omniscient. He can't be in one place, sorry, sorry, in multiple places at multiple times. But Christ understood everything. He understood his suffering. He understood the nature of his being. And he understood that he had to humble himself and even be questioned by one of his own creation, as evil as he may be. But he also understood that for the shame, he was willing to suffer it. And for our salvation, he went through it because he, in and of himself, is the ultimate wisdom of God. Because he is the word. Let us rest upon Christ. Let us rest upon our wise foundation. Because Christ is all in all. Let us pray.